right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. This is this is your host Jeff Fance here, and tonight um, I have a special guest. He reached out to me here last week, and he has a really unique perspective on what he wants to do to help out the budget hunter, and which I can appreciate because I was a budget hunter as well for a long period of time, and we all need that helping hand to be able to achieve our goals in the field and off the field and the biggest thing that uh, Cameron Stover came up with is called um, huntinggeardeals.com and what it is is exactly how I broke it down to it's like it helps out the common man to be able to get cameras uh, clothing gear that that they would need to do it but he's got a different approach to it than what you would normally find I think that's what really gravitated me for this guest because it's like we're all looking for a solid deal but we're not looking for a sales pitch we just need the basic approach to the whole process so this way then when there's a holiday coming along such as memorial day i don't want to have to bounce around from website to website what he's done is put all of that solid information into one location so cameron stover why don't you go ahead tell the audience about yourself so this way then we can get to your baby, to your, yeah, essentially your baby that you've, you've developed towards that now. And I appreciate you having me on the podcast and giving me the opportunity to tell your audience about hunting your deals. Uh, we can kind of back up and talk a little bit about me and myself, kind of where I'm from and then how I really got into hunting. Uh, so I'm Cameron. I'm from uh, West Virginia. I grew up in actually Southern West Virginia in one of the bow only counties. So I grew up, um, from a sing, basically a single parent home and uh, basic, and some people kind of helped me out along my hunting career journey. Uh, I had some hand-me-down bows and stuff like that until I really got to the point where I could afford my own stuff. Uh, and I had luckily had some people instill that uh, love of hunting within me uh, where it started with my dad and then developed over to my mom. My mom took the reins and then some buddies and stuff like that as I got a little older. And uh, through that, I grew up in a bow hunting only area, so I never really grew up gun hunting for deer like a lot of people do and do the deer camp kind of deal. Uh, so I've always had a passion for archery hunting. Um, I really grew up in a game rich environment, whitetail deer, turkey, wild boar and black bear right there in my backyard, along with a lot of recreational activities like ATVs and fishing and stuff like that. So it was a fun area to live in growing up, but I've since moved out and uh, I'm up in a different part of the area near the Ohio River. So I've got a little bit bigger deer to hunt in the, the, on the Ohio side of the river. And then I've got some nice area to call home now. That's awesome then. So when you got into hunting at an early age, who introduced you to the outdoors? I was initially introduced to it by my father. Um when I was younger, I probably four or five years old, we were squirrel hunting and stuff like that. And I was tagging along. And as I got a little older, probably seven or eight, we, like, we kind of drifted apart and I really didn't get to hunt with him anymore. My mom kind of took over the reins once I got old enough to really show an interest on my own rather than just tagging along. So uh, probably once I got to 11, 12 years old, I was packing a 12 gauge in the woods by myself, leaving mom at home. And uh, occasionally she'd have to give me a ride somewhere to where I wanted to hunt. Uh, but it took me a long time to kill my first deer. Um, I didn't kill my first deer until I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I can remember it's Thanksgiving morning is the first day that I got to hunt that year uh, with a rifle because I, I wasn't really big into bow hunting at that time. And we had that week off for or those couple of days off for basketball practice. And he's our coach is like, hey, if you guys are going to kill a deer, this is when you got to do it. 
And uh, sure enough, man, the first day, Thanksgiving morning, I had a chance to hunt, and uh, I got to kill my first buck, nice little eight-point in uh, Lincoln County. And, uh, and the rest is history. I've been addicted to it from the time I was a little kid to still addicted to it now. Awesome. So then a lot of the things you've learned, were they all self-taught, or did you have other mentors? No, I- in your early I definitely ages. had mentors. Uh, my buddy Kevin, uh, may he rest in peace. But uh, he really took me under his wing when I was younger, and uh, that's where I got found my love for archery was with him and tagging along, whether it be just him setting up a bow and letting me bust targets day in and day out, or running out of air just because I had lost them. And then uh, as I got a little better and more efficient, we were I was tagging along on hunts, and before you knew it, he was. Uh, he was the one helping me drag my deer out instead of him helping me having to drag his deer. So uh, Kevin really helped me out a lot. My buddy Kenny was a little older than me growing up, so we do, we got to do a lot of hunting together. Uh, and that, those were two of the bigger influences on my life. And then, then I'm, I've always been kind of an independent person. So as I got a little bit older, uh, I wasn't afraid to go out and hunt on my own um, and and learn as you go. Uh, there's some there's some skills that they need to be taught, especially when it comes to having proper form with a bow and how to tune a bow and understanding that there's, yes, there's research out there, but I grew up in a, a, a little bit before the information area where you couldn't just go on YouTube and figure it out. So uh, luckily I had a good mentor along the way to help me with that. Well, first off, sorry for your loss. We've all have uh, friends that we've lost along the way, especially from our good hunting buddies and such. So I can relate to that. And then I completely understand that because like I never got into archery until 2014, 2015. So, cause I grew up in a gun hunting environment. My dad and all of his friends, they were muzzleloaders because it's like my dad couldn't draw a bow back, but he liked the challenge of a muzzleloader. So it's like the whole one shot, one kill or having the cap, not fire or spark. So he always enjoyed that, that type of a challenge. Then, so as I grew up, I I was introduced to gun hunting. So that's just how it was. But then again, my dad was not, he liked to do lots of different topics, lots, lots of different hunts. So he liked to do his pheasant hunts, his rabbit hunts. And then, then squirrel hunts. Then we get, then we get, then it got closer and closer to uh, the winter time. That's when, he, that's when his, his gear, his uh, mind changed into deer hunting, spending out time. We'd like get off of work and come pick me up or be someplace where we can go and just glass up some deer and where they would be, where we'd be hunting at and spend until dust to watch them come on out. So this way you can have a uh, idea to where to go for it. So archery to me is fairly new, but for you, this is like a staple in your foundation. Oh, absolutely. Like without, but if I was just a gun hunter, like it would limit my opportunities so much because archery season where I, where I live at start comes in in late September and runs till the end of December. Whereas if I was a gun hunter, especially for whitetail, for instance, um, I've got a couple doe seasons that come in in October and then my gun season doesn't come in until the week of Thanksgiving. So I'm really, I'd be sitting on my hands waiting for everybody else to get out of the woods for me to have my chance. So archery gives that uh, a broader time frame where I can uh, hunt basically different animals at the same time. Uh, white-tailed deer kind of change. Early season, they're, they've got a pattern, then they switch completely from their bachelor groups in October and it comes into the rut. Everything breaks loose. And then that late December into January in, in Ohio, uh, those patterns kind of redevelop and those bachelor groups form back up. So archery gives that gives the hunter a lot longer time to be in the woods. And that's one of my favorite things about it. 
Now, is that where, is that your home state? Is uh, Ohio is your West home Virginia? State now? I'm, I'm look, I can West, look out oh, my window okay. and see the Ohio River, so it's it's basically. Oh, so you're not that far apart. It's literally jumping over the river, and then there yeah. you are in Ohio. Yeah. Okay, that gives a little because when you when you mentioned that, it's like I was watching, I did a little bit of Facebook stalking there. And it's like I see you bouncing around between Ohio, West Virginia, and such. So it's like okay, now that makes a little bit more sense for that whole. Uh, uh, being able to ca- capitalize on multiple yep, seasons. Me and my dog have been playing in the river this evening. So, yeah, that. Yeah, your dog's name is Scott. Fly. Sky. Fly, fly. There we go. It's like so. That's how. How did you? How did you win the fly? Oh, that paths? was actually this September. I actually went to Wisconsin and picked her up. She is a blood tracking dog, and she's also trained at uh, shed hunt. I picked her up from Northwood Kennels in Wisconsin. And while I was up there, I actually started my archery season early and hunted up in Wisconsin for a few days on public ground. Uh, yep. So uh, I enjoyed Wisconsin. Wisconsin's absolutely beautiful. Uh, but the best part of that trip, I got to bring my little baby home. And uh, she, she's a she's a fun, energetic dog and got a mind of her own, but good work ethic. That's that's fantastic, man. It's a, you know, Wisconsin is is one of those places where you can really find a lot of different options here. Now, the nice thing is about since you got a tag, isn't isn't Wisconsin's price tag on an over the counter non resident resident re- Oh reasonable? my gosh, it's the best tag you can buy across the country for the first time out of state hunt. It's, it was like seventy five or seventy nine bucks for the first year. Really, yeah, that's that, really good price. Even still, even if it's your second year, it's only one hundred sixty yeah, bucks. It, it that's still fairly oh, yeah, reasonable. It's cheaper than I'm pretty sure it's cheaper in West Virginia and definitely cheaper than Ohio and Kentucky non-resident tags. So, uh, Wisconsin's very pretty. Um, the terrain is just looks everywhere you look. When I was in Wisconsin, it's like, oh my gosh, there could be a big buck in that guy's backyard. I mean, it just looks like there's big bucks could be anywhere. Yeah, well, where I live in La Crosse is like some of the biggest bucks are shot within a, a 50 mile radius in this area. Like I interviewed uh, Brett, Sch- uh, Brett Schmidt. He just lives across the river over the Minnesota over in the Winona area there. He shot a 194 right. class buck. These bluffs uh, produce some massive bucks. I mean, out of all the states in the United States, Wisconsin is the number of places. If you want to shoot a big buck, you come here. Now, the only downside is like you really have to do your research and spend a lot of time looking over the, the land and the animals because like so a lot of that land is privately owned. So it's like you got to pick it. Just, but we do offer what they call farm management land. So this way, it op- so farmers that are not using the land or they, they can't hunt on it, but they want a tax uh, disc break. They'll put that land in, the, in that right there. So it's like where I'm, where I hunt in the cross, I, there's roughly like 500 acres worth of land that I can step foot on and just park my truck and just walk right on in. Can't beat that. No, it's really nice. It's, it's, uh, and then plus now it's like a couple of years ago, they passed legislation where you can leave your, your tree stand out there overnight. Now, if, it, if I come and walk up on the tree stand and nobody's in, it's like, I'm going to sit there for a few hours just to kind of chill out because it's like, well, I'm not going to take it down. I'm not going to steal it. But it's like, if it's there, I'm not going to take a, not going to miss out an opportunity to hop up in a tree stand real fast. Cause I do a lot of uh, ground and pound. So it's always a nice thing to break it up. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't run into, I ran into one other hunter. I think when I was in Wisconsin, he was actually bear hunting and uh, we had a nice little conversation. He was hunting one side of the public ground that I ended up on and I went to the other side. And it was just a perfect pinch and had a nice little run in with a porcupine at dark. And I didn't have a clue what that thing was. So it was in the tree <laughs> with me. And that made for an interesting day. That is very true. Because we you have to be careful out there, Vora, because we do have bear all over the place. And it's like uh, just about um, 
15 miles from where I'm at right now, over in Sparta, there was an 800-pound bear shot this past fall by an 11-year-old. People thought it was fake, but then it's like when you start seeing pictures of the DNR right next to her, right next to the bears, like, that's not I remember that story, actually. I got some buddies that are real big bear hunters, and stories like that don't go unturned. No, I do not. I had two friends last year that got drawn for their bear tags, but it takes like between seven to ten years to get your first drawn. So it's like you may have the potential maybe hunting bear three or four times over an entire lifespan. So it's like a lot of people don't like the, the weight because there's a lot of bear out there that are knocking wood. They haven't created a problem. But it's it would be nice to to call those out so this way then we don't have an overabundance of because eventually they're going to start moving into residential areas. You don't want to you want to turn into a, a New Jersey where they have black bears all over the place and not much of a hunt. Well, season. I hate to rub it in, but my bear tag in West Virginia cost me ten bucks, and I can buy one every year, and I can kill two actually in the county in which I hunt for ten bucks. That's awesome. That's that's pretty. Yeah, sweet. it's a little bit more for non-residents, but still, it's an over-the-counter tag, and we have an abundance of bears as well. It's not in every county, like the the county that I currently live in. Man, I there's occasionally you'll hear one getting hit on the road or something like that, but very rare. Like somebody gets one on a trail camera, it's very rare. Uh, but down where I'm from in Logan County and some of the other counties down south, they're it's it's it, they're a pain in the butt sometimes. Yeah, that is that is very true. Like. Um... We started carrying when we go out to the tree stands because uh, uh, a few years ago we were out. My wife and I were hunting. We managed to get a, a coyote within about forty yards, some of that. I, I I was trying to give her the range finder so this way then she could range it for me. So this way then I can adjust my slider and then draw back for it. But as soon as he saw us, then it's like then just beeline in the direction. But what was unique about it is like every ten years, just ten every ten yards, you stop, turn, go again. And we watched him do it for over 300 yards. It's like, man, you got lucky because uh, uh, this buck that you see behind me here, when I finally found him the next day, because it's like he jumped on a per other person's property who didn't have permission to walk on to, to claim him, all all of his um, privates were been just ripped out. So took a lot of cleaning out of it. So then I just cut around it and been able to you know, still oh, yeah. food. Can't be that. <laughs> got it for you. Right? That's exactly. So now um, – when you uh, when you were younger, like in your, uh, did you primarily just focus on hunting West Virginia, or did were you able to bounce around to different states? Was that just recent? Uh, I didn't get to bounce around to different states until recently. Uh, I was I was young. I didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, and I really didn't have that same desire to go travel around because I was still trying to figure out how to kill deer where I lived at, let alone going somewhere else and trying to trying to learn how to kill deer. So it really took me a little bit longer uh, longer in life to figure out how, okay, these big bucks, there's a reason why they become big deer. So you got to get out and hunt them a little bit different. So um, I, I kind of stuck close to home. That's really why I didn't get into gun hunting a whole lot because um, I couldn't gun hunt in the county that I resided in. Uh, and occasionally I would make the trip up to a family member's house, uh, property up in Lewis County, which is further part, like two and a half, three hours from where I grew up. And I would gun hunt there, but it would just be a meat hunt, try to kill a doe and kill a tag. It wasn't the same kind of environment. The Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug and play type of scope housing, where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame 
to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now when you sight in your 20 yard mark, you can really fine tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. Getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition. Uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow. And the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. Yeah, completely understandable there. Uh, so as as we were both growing up, I don't know about you, but where I found my uh, getting my hunting gear was from the clearance rack at Walmart. But when I wanted to start getting more better gear, like uh, trail cameras of like pawn, or pawn stores were my point of reference. I don't know if that is that what you use to get some of your gear, but give us a little story about how you ended up, like as you as the as time progressed. Like with the beginning, like where did you get all your gear from? Mine started with hand-me-downs. Like my first bow was given to me. Uh, my my buddy Kevin, his dad actually gave me that bow, and I can remember I, I couldn't quite pull it back. I didn't have the mechanics, but when I pulled the bow back, in order for me to get it back, I didn't do one of these breach it up to twelve o'clock, pull the bow back. I turned my head backwards to look at my elbow, and I could pull the bow back. So it was very awkward, but it was I didn't have to, as much movement. I just had some weird. I don't know something wrong with my neck. Never did figure that out, but I got over that as I got older. So I started with the hand-me-down free arrows and stuff like that. And then I, my first purchase was actually broadheads because I, I had to buy my own broadheads. And I started with those little cheap Allen broadheads. And uh, and I, I had an animal bite one in half and break it. And I was like, okay, these probably aren't good enough. And uh, so I, dumb kid shooting, doing something he shouldn't have done, trying to shoot, shoot a chipmunk or a squirrel. And it broke. It actually bit the broadhead in half. And I was like, that's wrong, the blade. And I was like, okay, probably need a little invest in better equipment. So uh, the next year I bought a, uh, went to a pawn shop, but they were actually a Hoyt dealer. And I bought my first bow, bought a Hoyt Vipertech and absolutely changed the game for me with a bow. I went from being able to, I can hit the target to like, okay, I'm really good. Like I, I can, I can hit your knock. Let's, let's play some games. And then I got, I got to the point where I was very confident, uh, got to stretch the distance out and I started I didn't really invest in expensive accessories, uh, but I or arrows. I mean, I, at that point in time, I was like, "Hey, as long as it shoots, I'm good." Um, but as I got a little older and I got a little bit more money in my pocket, then I started to buy higher end equipment. I, I very, really figured out early in life, not always the case, but most of the time, if you invest in higher quality products, you're going to get more use out of it, or they're 
if you find the benefit. If you only hunt once or twice a year, you don't need a thousand dollars worth of sick of gear or a brand new bow every year. But if you're beating the ground each day, day in and day out, as much as you can to hunt, and you really put your gear to the test, you find value in those higher priced items. And I figured that out at an early age because the area in which I was hunting was rough and rugged. And for us to get to those areas, sometimes it was 30, 40, two hour four wheeler trip to get back into those areas where we were hunting. So a dumb kid like me is tearing a lot of stuff up just getting to and from the woods. Makes sense. Yeah. Cause my first major uh, important purchase ever made was buying a knife and I bought a Gerber one of those Bear Grylls ones, but it had a little bit of everything wrapped into it, but it's a, it's a uh, fixed blade had both a uh, straight, straight razor with it and also a serrated blade to it. Cause I want a little bit of both. So this way then when I'm caping it, when I'm cutting through the, the rib cage, I'm going to have that uh, grit for it. And that was probably my first major, like my first major purchase, like everything else, like you said, it was all hand-me-downs. Like I got jackets, I got boots and stuff like that, that I just kind of like, well, this is my work boots. I'm going to wear these until I, until I eventually have more money. Then you, then you splash in it in children. I have a, I have a daughter. So it's like splashing that. Cause like I still really started ramping up my, my hunting right around when she was born. So it's like, then it's like, then it became even more like, well, I gotta, I gotta buy these all throughout after season when everything's going on sale. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can take the whole deal side of it, trying to say stretch money then, and I'm being able to apply it later on in life. Now, now hunting your deals kind of, we'll talk more about it later, I'm sure. But being able to balance a budget early in life really saved me a lot of money in the process. Now, don't get me wrong. I spent a ton of money on gear as I got older because I was always a gear nut. I, I like to research it back in early days of archery talk. I can remember being the first, probably one of the first people in the state of West Virginia to pick up sick of gear and wear it. The first piece of sick of gear that I purchased was in a real tree. And you'll you won't see real tree advertised for them forever because they on the second year of production, I think that's why they come out with uh, the real tree like in 2009 or something like that. So like that was the first piece. And like I got that one piece, and I'm like, man, this is the best thing I've ever worn. I, this cheap stuff that I'm wearing, it just ain't cutting it. So later on they come out with uh, a different what was it, the uh, forest, forest pattern. It's not ugly as it could be. But I bought it. And it was kept me warm and kept me in the woods. That is very true. I know uh, one of my first uh, outset outings was the morning. It was opening gun season. I think it was 2011. And it was negative 13 degrees outside. I didn't have a face mask on. So my beard was just covered in uh, ice. So I was literally sitting there. I could literally break. I've stole pictures of it too. I've out there, but I shot one of I shot one of the biggest does ever shot. I think I got I got over. 90 95 pounds of meat with her because she was old she was fat she was thick and so it was just one of those things where it's like man like that night when we got out of the field i beelined to to uh uh walmart and bought myself a face mask i still have that mask to to this day just because it's like it was such it's it i don't wear it except for when it gets real cold outside so it's like it's been able to last that long but then again it's like when you when you when you know it's a vital piece of your equipment for your day to day to in order to endure a well let's see here once when the when sun starts getting less maybe like any between eight to nine hours in one day in a tree stand you need to have some good uh, facial gear on it because otherwise your just face just gets beaten up from that cold. Yep, I agree. Yeah, because even you with you and with in West Virginia, it's like you still get snow, so oh, yeah. it still gets cold. So it's like you you got a plan for that stuff. Then on top of that too, like what in like finding hot hands, 
like the hot hands for your feet, stuff like that last seven, eight hours. Well, that was a game changer right there. Cause now it's like, you're able to extend your, extend your, your hunt even longer. So it's like, those are like a two or three dollar. Now over the last couple of years, I've actually invested in some heating, like uh, electronics, heated socks. So this way it's like, just turn them on. I'm good to go for eight, 10 hours. Yeah, I, what really changed my game as far as being able to hunt and stay warm was the Arctic shield insulated boot warmers. They just slip them on over your boots. And cause like you'd buy these thousand gram thousand gram insulated boots, and by the time you walk to your street te- uh, tree stand, you're burning up. So I was like, man, I, I just soon wear my bow hunting boots early season and figure out how to stay warm. So grab those artificial boot warmers, throw them over, and when it gets cold, slip in a uh, like one of those big giant hot hands, slip those in, it, and I'm good to go. Um, that's really changed the way I've, as far as being comfortable in a stand. Really changed the game for me. That does make sense though, because this way then, because with those with those shields, with the wrap over the boot, it's like you're able to uh, walk in with a lighter weight. So this way you're not creating a uh, weights on your feet, because like there's like those thousand grain, sixteen hundred grain uh, boots, they get real heavy, oh. real fast. And so talk about a nice ba- uh, balance of that. So this way then you're able to insulate, and then on top of that throw a hot hands, and then it actually I wouldn't mind uh, thinking about changing up my my. Uh, I plan for this upcoming winter because we can hunt all the way up, depending on what calendar you're in. Of course, here in Wisconsin, you'd hunt up until late as uh, January 31st. And January gets off. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, we can hunt in Ohio and think until the first Saturday or Sunday of February. But I mean, I, I'm ground blinds at that point in time. I ain't getting in a tree stand in late January and stuff. <laughs> I just assume getting a ground blind. I don't need a heater, but I just assume get out of the wind and get out. Yeah, that. Which makes perfect sense, you know. It's like uh, you got to have a some. If you're going to be sitting on the ground or sitting up in the tree, you got to figure out a way to get you out of that wind because it makes your uh, life miserable. Because like that's one of the, uh, I think it was 2015. I think it was. I actually bought my first full outfit, and up here it's like we have scent blocker. They're based out of uh, Cannon Falls, Minnesota, and they do what they call garage sale. What it is is they're basically getting rid of their previous year's um, inventory at a really redis- ridiculous discount, anywhere between. Uh, 60 to 80% off depending on the item. So it's like I got a pair of reversible overalls, a reversible coat. So this way I have have, uh, real tree, and then I also have a snow camo. So this way just a quick flip in and out. So this way, and it was like it it worked for my budget. Now it's like I've been like kind of eyeballing some Sitka gear because it's like, well, with with, um, huntinggeardeals.com and Camelfire, you're bound to find some type of a deal. Yeah, I can assure you that somebody is going to have 20% off select Sika gear this weekend. I don't know when this podcast is actually going to hit your audience, but usually for Memorial Weekend, there's going to be one or two companies buying for your business. So if you're looking for Sika gear, I would expect 20% around Memorial Day. Um, And then if you want to wait to the end of season, after season deals, you can get up to 40% off, uh, especially through Camelfire. Um, if you catch it, you just got to be early. When when those, when those deals hit Camo Fire and these companies that like forty percent off, thirty percent off, they're gone. Because everybody like every, if everybody's waiting on that deal and there's only five pieces of it in your size, sorry, you better be first in line or you're not going to get advan- take advantage of it. Oh, 100 percent. Because Camo Fire, their servers are based out of yes. Utah. Or like I know it's no, it's Mountain Standard Time, and so it's like even for. I'm, a, I'm an hour ahead at that point in time here in Wisconsin. So it's like not uncommon for me to be up at midnight, hit refresh, waiting for the new stuff yep. to pop up. See, I always catch in the morning early. So sometimes the items that I'm wanting are already gone. Luckily for me, when 
I'm, I'm growing out of it, but most of my sizes are smaller than other guys. So uh, I've been pretty lucky about absorbing my collection for a little, a little bit less money than the average person because I've taken advantage of these deals through the years. Yeah, I'm six foot two. So it's like my size is quite um, common. So you, you come in at what? Five, I'm, five, I'm five nine. So I'm like a medium and a large depending on how much I've ate. So you're going to be able to find a lot more opportunities. Like for me, that stuff gets sniped yeah. quick. So then how was, uh, like I was, when I was snooping through your, uh, your feed there, 2020 was a pretty powerful year for you. I mean, you, you capitalized on a lot of bucks. Like why don't you break down some of the stories for us or one of your favorite hunt oh, stories? Man. I absolutely had a blast during the fall of 2020. Um, like I said, I got to start in Wisconsin, didn't feel a tag, but I did find an area that I really enjoyed. Uh, started hunting, uh, soon as I got back and you know, in West Virginia, a little bit earlier than most because I had an urban archery tag. So I was able to shoot a couple does during the urban archery season and uh, then mid-october we got a cold front in west virginia uh, that cold front man is usually just dynamite if you're in the right area and luckily i went traveled down to southern west virginia to hunt a property that i've got leased and uh, a buck walk buck that i was looking for walked by one of my trail cameras the evening before uh, one of the cellular cameras that i've got and uh, i was like oh there we go here's a here's a potential uh potential for the weekend and uh, he goes by about an hour before dark, and I'm like, all right, I know where he's bedding at. I've already scouted the bedding area. He's stopping at this scrape, and he's moving moving on towards some feeding areas, a lot of oaks and stuff. So that next morning, he comes in right at the edge of daylight. He's coming back into bedding, and I'm like, bingo. So I knew not to go in there and try to hunt that deer in the morning for the because I didn't want to take a chance of bumping him. I was like, I'm giving him a chance to repeat this pattern. Um so as soon as I got that daylight picture of him in the morning, I, I knew my game plan. I didn't even hunt that morning. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to slip in here like three o'clock. I'm going to get in the stand and I'm going to wait. And sure enough, I don't remember what time I actually got in the stand. I think it was earlier than that. But sure enough, he come through like an hour before dark, checking scrapes, walked right underneath the stand. I slipped an arrow in him and watched him fall and break off the tip of his main beam when he hit the ground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't much. But at the same time, you like you pick up this beautiful, typical rack and then you're like, oh no <laughs> and it don't matter how much you look that that three inches of antler you're not finding it it don't matter where it's at you're not going to find it so that was fun i mean getting it done early because uh southern west virginia those bow only counties they only have a one buck limit so i was tagged out there um, so that really took takes a lot of weight off your shoulders and you're able to kind of focus on a, something else uh, what i've like what i like to do is travel during the rut uh, a lot of people hunt their favorite hunting hole stands but I feel like in the areas that I have more more time to hunt, I can pattern a deer out of peak season, peak rut and stuff like that. So either early season or late season. And during that hot November time, I want to travel out of state and take advantage of a better opportunity into an area that uh, that I don't have to know as well. I just have to understand topography and cover and what deer are going to do during the rut. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's a pretty now I noticed that uh, a lot of your videos you post a lot of your lives. Onyx has been a, a yes, Onyx, right? I, I use Onyx, yeah, Onyx which you use. Um, Onyx is a staple in my arsenal. There's not a day goes by that I don't open my Onyx map, whether it's for work or whether it's for fun. If I'm driving down the road and I see a deer, I'm pulling up my Onyx map and I'm looking who owns this property where this deer is at, or who owns this property where this uh, turkey's strutting in this field. And I've gotten so much permission through the years utilizing that map. Um, 
it's from the time I went, I only went out to Montana and stuff like that on a trip and on my way home, I didn't have any intentions on hunting, but every antelope that I saw, I was like marking it, marking it. Cause one day I might get to come back, but I've, I, it's opened a lot of doors for me getting permission. This, just this Turkey season alone. Uh, yeah. That's what I was going to want to get into. Cause man, you had some like really good encounters. Yes, with folks. Uh, so luckily I live in an area up here where I have turkeys on both sides of the river to hunt. And uh, we've got several little farms that we I can bounce around and get to. And a lot of times on your way from what farm A to farm B, you're going to see a turkey. The problem is, can you get permission to hunt that turkey? Uh, luckily, uh, one of the uh, the first one, I think, I, first or second turkey I killed in West Virginia, we were driving home, uh, driving to a different property. And we looked over beside the road, like 10 yards off the road. And here's a gobbler and two jakes in a thicket. Like it, it's not a field. They're just, you're, it's one of those things like, why are those turkeys there? So we pull up, me and my buddy pull off the side of the road and I'm trying to bring the map up to see who owns that property, where those turkeys are. And he's like, they just crossed the road behind you. I'm like, I said, what do you mean? They're on this side? I said, yeah. And just happened to be when the map finally loaded up because we didn't have good service. We were in the guy's driveway that owned the property where they were going on to. So I pull up the hill and I knock on the door and no answer. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I'm like, these birds are coming. Like they're going to see us standing this dude's driveway from across this field if we don't do something. So I get on the phone and I start, I get on the internet and I start finding this guy's number and I call him up. I was like, Hey, uh, this is such and such. I said, I was curious if I could hunt. And I told him the story and he was like, oh, I'd have to tell you a story, uh, show you the boundaries and where my neighbor's houses are. I was like, sir, I'm looking at the map. I can see the property boundaries. And I said, I understand where your neighbor, such and such, their property lines are. And he was like, Oh, so, well, if you, if you know the boundaries and stuff, he said, well, go right ahead. He said, I'll be home in about an hour. I said, sir, I'll be tagged out in an hour. <laughs> so we made a beeline across the field, set up in a uh, little tree line, like an internal fence line. Put the, my buddy Jansen put the decoy in the ground. As he's doing it, he hits his call, and there's a turkey gobble within 50 yards of that decoy, and they're on it. They're on their way right to us. Uh, he sets up. He's got some camera gear and uh, doesn't even have time to get the camera gear set up. That turkey's in the field. And he, he gives me the go-ahead to shoot. I lean out from the tree and shoot the turkey in the field, and we're done right then and there. I sent the landowner a message. I was like, hey, man, I sent him actually a picture of me holding the turkey. I was like, hey, man, I just want to tell you thanks. I appreciate it, and uh, I'd, I'd love to make it up to you, give you a gift, get you a gift card or something like that to your favorite restaurant. And It's weird. You try to do something nice for some of these people during turkey season, and they're like, it's not a big deal. It's just a turkey. Uh, so so that, that was pretty cool, and I repeated it in West in Ohio. Um, I, the only bird I killed in Ohio, I was driving from a different farm trying to get to one eight, different farm, and I pulled out or seen the two long beards in a freshly planted soybean field and i i pulled up to this uh, elderly lady's house and she didn't hear the door and i called her i was like ma'am i'm such and such i happened to see some turkeys as i was driving by and i was asking if i could hunt them she's like well yeah go right ahead when will you be here i was like ma'am i'm in your driveway right now <laughs> and uh, she's like well go right ahead honey and uh so i i slipped finally get out get her off the phone and i slipped down the field and those turkeys but like look like they busted me right there and i was like oh this is over before it gets started and i laid down and they kind of they went back to normal and they went to the end of the field and there was a little thicket they weren't coming to me i was calling they weren't interested they had a place to go and on the edge of this field there's a thicket and then there's a creek so i'm like i ain't never gonna have a chance to kill these birds so i take off running with them i dropped my Drop my vest. I take off running with a mouth call and one one shell in the gun because I'm using a Thompson Center Pro Hunter, so it's got one shot. Make sure my my red dots on, and I sprint. I measured it out later. It's 137 yards. I use the Onyx map for that. 
I'm sprinting at this turkey, calling as I get there. I get within like 10 feet of this turkey. They don't want to fly because of the creek. So I, I thump one. The, the first one that I seen his head, I thump him, and hunt's over right then. I mean, it was just one of those things within five minutes of me hanging up the phone. I've got a turkey on the ground, and I'm ready to take pictures. Uh, it was just great. I mean, it was one of those stories of like, I may never repeat, but I'm always going to repeat it back when I get the chance to tell somebody about it. We're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. Man, that's, that's, that is a, a powerful tool Onyx really is. You know, it's like I've been using Onyx. I have... I, I bounce between Onyx and HuntStand, depending on what I can what I can get for a free membership. But I think this year I'm just going to just buckle down, buy your one subscription to Onyx. But the nice thing is you can individually purchase the states you want to work with, so which is nice this way you're not looking at a very expensive um, uh, bill for the for the course of itself. Because like you can get a really good deal, like I've seen on uh, on uh, hunting uh, yeah, huntinggeardeals.com and also Camofire for like 15, 20 bucks for a state. And I was like, that is very reasonable, especially for a budget hunter like myself. Yeah, it's very common for me to find a 40% off um, subscription for Onyx, whether it be the premium version or the elite version with one state or all states, usually you can get about 40% off, uh, not all the time, of course, but when those deals run. So anytime that's out, I do a, I do a big blast on social media and email and be like, hey, you guys better jump on this because I know I'm utilizing it to kill animals and gain access to more properties. Uh, one of the biggest hurdles, people have all this technology in the world available to them, but they don't utilize it to better themselves. And like you move into a new area and you're afraid to ask permission to hunt. I will blind call somebody from California if they own property where I want to hunt in West Virginia and say, hey, can I hunt? And whether it be email or phone call, whatever the case may be, like if I, if I want to get permission, I'm not going to let being shy keep me from asking. Right. Now, what's the difference between premium and elite version? Because what do you use? Because, I mean, it sounds like you've been able to get talk to these people and then get on a bird really, really quick. Like, what version do you use? Okay. The version that I have is just all states. Uh, I think okay. the elite version is all states. Then I will go, I will take that landowner's name and I'll compare the address. I'll uh, When I pull that property up, if their address is not the address of that property, like the tax address, then I know they don't live there. Uh, okay. so I'll take that address or that name and then I'll copy it and paste it into Google. I think it's fastpeoplesearch.com is what I utilize. 
And man, I, okay. I can pull up somebody's name. I can pull up their phone number, where they live, where they used to live and who they used to hang out with in college. I mean, I, it'll scare you to death sometimes what it pulls up. It is very, it is very disturbing how much of our information's out there. Like we live in the big brother age. So there's no sense of hiding anymore. Yep. And the best way you can get permission that I found is if you know somebody that they know and make that clear, like, Hey, I know aunt Betty and aunt Betty and I met one time, but I just want you to know that I know this person. And, and that really helps get the foot in the door, especially blind call. Uh, and it doesn't happen every time. I mean, there's, there's when it comes closer to hunting season on these out of state trips, I may call 50 people in a month time trying to get permission to hunt some private ground and get told no 50 times. But those quick, can I hunt here for an hour because I seen a turkey there? That is when I usually get permission. Not can I hunt your property all year? It's like, hey, can I hunt your property right now? It's on season goes out for the day at one o'clock or 12 o'clock. Can I hunt here for two more hours? And usually you get, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because they don't believe you're actually going to kill something or you can't do any damage in two hours or something like that. So they, get, they give you the head nod and they say, get right ahead. And then you come out with your turkey or whatever. That was the, that's what's the the rewarding thing about that is like watching you come out there, just like just <laughs> simply doing it. I was wondering what your strategy was to be able to get this contact information really rapidly. So that's a, that's a good insight to have. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause the nice thing is like being here, like traveling, you're, you're always bound to meet somebody that's on either social media that you've come across. So it's, it's, it's such a powerful tool. It's like, you're right. It's like, we got to utilize what we, what we developed over the last few years. I mean, especially for some of us have had Facebook for 10, 15 years, you know, it's like, you got to be able to talk to these folks and be able to like, Hey, like I'm coming here. It's like, you, you try to a hunt for hunt type scenario. Cause I know let's, um, some of the groups that I'm a part of on Facebook, they, that's what they like to do. It's like, well, I'll, I'll give you some insight if I can come on you. So it's like, it opens up that opportunity plus, and then it just allows you to have friends for a lifetime. So the, the question has been burned at me all this whole entire conversation, the, the muskox, what, <laughs> how did you come across a full mount muskox? Okay. Well, I didn't kill it. That's for sure. So there was a local gun store going out of business and I went, man, they're having, they're having auctions for all these guns and stuff like that. And I love to buy something and then flip it and make a couple bucks. So that's, that was the intention that I went down there was to buy accessories because most people go to a gun auction, they're buying guns or they're buying ammo. And I did buy some ammo and some things like that. Uh, but this auction went really long. They had mounts. They were very slow. But one of the mounts that they had available was a life-size muskox. And just so happened, the guy that had killed that muskox originally and sold it to that shop owner was there in attendance for the auction. So I got to talk to the gentleman that actually went in on this hunt. And uh, I can't remember all the details. He told me like it was negative so many degrees when he was there. And he told me uh, what bay he went into, flew into to, to go on this great hunt. And uh, so I, I, the bid come up and I had a budget in mind. I was like, if I can get this thing for 600 bucks, I'm going to buy it. I was like, it's, just, it's 600 bucks. I think I can get my money back out of it. But if not, I got a, I got a muskox. So <laughs> the bid goes up and as I'm buying it, nobody's bidding against me. Like there's one other person and they're, they just stop like 550. And I'm like, I'm going to get it. The adrenaline rush hits me so hard that I'm trembling. Worse than any deer that I've ever killed. I literally could not stand up. I was shaking so bad. I was like, I just, uh -huh. so I, I win the, win the bid on the, on the muskox. 
And then I got to figure out how to get it home. <laughs> yeah. So I have to go to work. I think this was on a Sunday and pickup was like Monday or Tuesday. So, okay. And this was when COVID's going on. And guess who starts getting sick? This guy. <laughs> I go okay. to pick this up. I had, I called him. I was like, Hey, I just got tested for COVID. I was like, I don't think I have it, but I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, I can't get anybody to come help me. And they're like, well, you got to have this muskox out of here. The, I walk in, everything's empty. Everything else is gone. So uh, I show up, I tell them, Hey, I might have COVID. I've got a face mask on. I was like, I bought, brought hand sanitizer. So you guys can clean it. If anybody will help me and nobody would help. And uh, so I start wheeling this thing out by myself and I have to take the frame off the, the middle of the doors and you got to take it through the double doors. And I, I look at my trailer and I'm like, how in the heck am I going to get a life-size muskox on this trailer? And just so happened, this gentleman pulls up. He's like, man, what are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to load this thing up. He's like, by yourself? I was like, yeah, I don't have any choice. And I told him the situation. I, like, I don't even care. So me and him. I get, we have to, it's so, it's so big and bulky. You can't do anything with it. So we get under the muskox and we finally get it up on a trailer and I get home with it. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do when I get home? So I drive this thing through town, no wrapping, no, nothing on top of it except for ratchet straps. And I have this life-size muskox on a trailer going through town and I just can't help but laugh. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how many times in life are you going to see some redneck running down the road with a muskox on the back? So I, of course, I'm posting pictures on social media and stuff like that. And I get home and I got somebody to help me unload it. And it sits in my garage for a while. And I ended up selling it for double what I paid for it. I got like 1200 bucks out of it. I've had 600 invested in it. Boom. Awesome profit. Great story. But the cool, the funniest part about it is I had a guy at work be like, he finally asked me one day. He's like, what do you feed this muskox that you bought? And I looked at it. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't know. He said, what does a muskox eat? I was like, you idiot. This thing's stuffed. Why do you think it doesn't move? There's a reason why it's stuck in my garage. He's like, this whole time, he's like, man, I thought you bought a real muskox. <laughs> it was a lot cooler, I think, that you bought a real muskox. I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm driving that thing home. But uh, it, the muskox is long gone. It would not fit in my house, unfortunately. I had to leave it in the garage. Uh, tried to put it in the house, but it was just too big. Uh, so I've got a story that I'll be able to tell for a lifetime that I did own a muskox. Now, I may never get to go on that hunt, but I've got plenty of pictures and plenty of stories to go along with it. We would like to just take a second to help you make the final decision on your new Kydex holster. We the People offers all American-made holsters designed for everyday carry. Whether it's inside the waistband or outside, these holsters are made with quality and don't break your bank like other high-end holster companies. And plus, they offer free shipping on all orders in the USA. So go have a look, and while you're at it, check out what else they have to offer. Merch link in bio. Yeah, because that's a very difficult tag to draw, because I know... Um, Babe Winkleman, he got drawn up there. A couple of friends got drawn. One of his friends got like the, I think it was a top five BNC uh, muskox that it's like just absolutely just a massive body and stuff like that to shoot it. It's like, I have no idea how much one of those those costs, especially let alone to get that over here because like certain laws, such as some tribal laws, doesn't allow you to import the skull or the meat or the hide down down south so it is it is quite the um that's what i'm looking for quite the excursion to be able to do it because it's like getting up there and shooting is one thing but it's like you gotta figure out how you get it back down here yeah and and just so happened the mount that i bought was beautiful i mean the de the detail within the nose and the mouth i mean very i was very impressed 
Uh, it was a little dirty, dusty, and stuff like that. And I asked, there was a lot of uh, taxidermy collectors there, and I asked them, I was like, why didn't you guys buy this? I was like, I, I just bought it for a joke. I was like, why didn't you guys buy it? They're like, it's a life size. I, I didn't really want to take it home. I was like, I'd do it if I got it for three or 400 bucks. He's going to make some money on it, but it's too much of a risk. Well, I made my money back at really quick, so I wasn't too concerned about it. But uh, there's a market out there for if you don't want to pay the 20 or 30 grand to go on the muskox, you can always just buy one. I wonder how much a life-size taxidermy bill would be for a muskox. It's got to be at least like a five, six grand for something that large because the molds alone on that, you have to custom build. Yeah, it would be a custom mold. At the time when this gentleman killed it, and he was way too old to be hunting in that environment today, um, he said he paid 3500 for the mount back then. Did he ha- did he happen to mention what year he shot? It was uh, like 70s, 80s? No, I don't think it was that old. I, I think it was like early 90s early mid early okay. 90s so then consider inflation probably right around that nine thousand dollar mark to do if you were to do it today in today's uh, uh economy but man that would have it just just to sit down and listen to him talk about that muskox hunts it's like you, you're not going to be meet very many people in your lifetime that have actually gotten a, got to go on a hunt and successfully punch their tag yeah yeah it, it was amazing i mean the whole chain of events is one of those things like i hope i remember that forever and for some reason that adrenaline rush when i won that at the bid and yeah you win it you still gotta pay for it it is unlike any adrenaline rush i've ever felt like the couple people that i had with me was like what the heck is wrong with you i was like i just want a muskox <laughs> that is pretty neat you know i my wife would shoot me if i brought home a muskox but then again it's like i have no place to same boat you are no place to put it no, that's, I have to figure out a way to tow it back to here, but I don't think there's anybody here in Wisconsin that has a muskox. Maybe uh, Paul Korn may have one. I'm not sure. Paul Korn is a, a uh, world-renowned hunter. He's got oh multiple Grand Slams. I think he's got the North American Grand Slam for all the big animals from moose all the way down to the cow's deer from down there in Arizona. So it's like it's it's a, it's a like 50-some animals or something like that to get a complete a North American um, uh slam like that because there's a lot of animals you got to cut hunt through but he's just person he runs um owens a1r trip in hudson and so but he just got blessed with some good investments earlier on and been able to have a lifetime of hunting all across the world yeah i mean that's that's definitely the dream for a lot of us has been able to travel the world and hunt and share those experiences with others it's like I wish that we we did the the world wasn't so conflict because so conflicted because there's so many places that I'd love to go visit but it's so territorial and it can be uh, uh, very dangerous you know because like it'd be fun to go to Afghanistan or Iraq to go hunting there or going to um, Russia or, or Mongolia and get in, get in, get after some hunting there but it's like it's so treacherous you know because you don't know what's going to happen because it's like. I don't know. It's like, it's like, it almost seems like things have changed in a, in, in a worse for wear because it's like, you listen to like um, people that actually got to go traveling and, and walk, do a massive walkabout, I guess, like uh, Rasmussen from Russia, like during uh, uh, the late 1800s, he did several pilgrimages back and forth, traveling hundreds of miles. And it's like, I don't think you can do that these days now without com- not running without some type of a conflict. Yeah. There's so much tension overseas like that. And, Heck, we're getting into that area where there's tension just across border and states. It seems like in our in our area now, but yeah, I don't think I'll be traveling that far to hunt. No, if I, if I want to go to a uh, a overseas hunt, I'll just go to Texas. They have everything in Texas. Yeah, I actually, I was actually turkey hunting Rios in Texas this year. 
Yeah, you I did you did you had you killed two birds in there yep. down there, didn't uh, you, correct? Yep, we were we went down there for a they call it turkey fest. They they claim claim it's a world championship turkey hunt. So we were invited to come down there, me and some buddies. Um I was with uh, Whitetail Heaven Outfitters and then FST Outdoors was the other group and had a great time, great community down in Henrietta, Texas, and uh, they really welcomed everybody in. We had a great time. Um, I think our group, uh, between the two teams, I think there were ten birds killed within the two teams. So I mean, we had a we had a great time. Man, I, do you, are you familiar with the the bow uh, bow league, bow hunting league? I, I know enough. I know a little bit about it, but I don't know like the details. I've never entered it or anything like that. I say because you're not that far from Ben Henderson because he's the one that runs and he's a really swell guy. He, he's been on the podcast twice or three times already, and he started this as a, a way to get people to establish hunting community. Like oh shoot, almost ten years ago, and it just really blossomed. But it's like you should look into it for this upcoming season. You can pick, you can have a team. It doesn't you don't all have to be in the same state. You can pick a team. You can have guys from Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. You know, and this way they have. Um, pretty good deal for when it comes down to the prizes and stuff. I introduced him to Chris Ham. He's actually coming out next weekend to go to uh, the uh, pack a shoot. If you ever have a chance to have a free weekend to come out, whether it be this year, or next year to come shoot at one of these HHA events, you'll actually have a blast because you get to meet so many cool people. Like when I was there at the Warren's fest last weekend, you know, two weeks, uh, two weekends ago, we had, I think it was like, I think I had seven or eight podcast guests there. Oh, so wow. it's like it was kind of it was kind of a review a reunion of all these people that's like been on my podcast like hey meet this guy this is it was this is episode blank and blank miss so it was a a fun experience for the whole thing and my wife got to shoot and she got a little rough day she lost two arrows first one lost her first arrow first target just up and over yeah but if you're gonna have a happen to you might as well get it over on the first shot and then pick it up towards the end yeah I did pretty decent though. I managed to keep uh, shot pretty well on both sides of the because it was like twenty eight targets. Did shot pretty decently with it, um, and then I did a scramble at night where it's like I got invited to or got invited for us. It was like a oh thirty dollar buy in stuff like that where the top six teams got payouts stuff like that, and portion went back to the the, the uh, fundraiser and uh, shot very well. You know my my teammate carried me, so it's like I, I don't really shoot a three targets, so it's like my eyes were struggling to make out that 12 ring but uh it was fun i mean i just i went out there just to have fun just went out there to shoot uh just um deadpan so this way then i'm not building up the pressure it's just like i'm just focusing on the draw and then this the the uh, shot placement and going from there so it's like i got a few 12s two 10s got a couple of fives never missed a target knock on one i have a friend of mine that uh jake mansell he's been on the podcast twice three times he he ended up Missing a target completely, and then he hit the wrong target on one of his other shots too. He, it's like he wasn't paying attention, so it's like he just shot through the target, and he one of the targets he he didn't set reset his his sight, just clear up and over, just missed it. It's like oh, <laughs> so everybody was giving him grief the entire time. I, I gotta tell you a story. Me and the, me and my buddy one day, right towards the end of the season, he was wanting to fill a doe tag, so. Uh, we're hunting on a, a like a reclaimed strip mine. If you know anything about this, it's beautiful area, completely different than the hardwoods, kind of open area. And there's this group of does come by us, and a little bit further distance than what we probably he probably should have been shooting. And uh, I ran, I think I, I think I, yeah, I ranged it or he ranged it one. Yeah, he did. He had a range finder. I didn't have one. I was still young and cheap at that time. And he ranges this deer and just smokes it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's not that great of a shot. 
And uh, he smokes 10 rings, this, this deer. And I'm like, my gosh, that's 70 yards. And he's, he looks at me and I'm celebrating. He's like, I missed. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, that deer's dead. I said, like, there ain't no tracking. It's dead. Best shot I've ever seen. He's like, no, I completely missed the deer. I shot. I shot over the back. He <laughs> <laughs> shot a deer 10 yards past of what he was aiming at. And it, it literally just took a step and just rolled down the hill. I mean, it didn't move anywhere. And he thought he just completely missed the deer that he was shooting at. One of the funniest things, and I still give him a hard time about it, but at the end of the day, he filled that doe tag and he had meat to eat the rest of the year. So it, it was great. One of the stories that live on long after that season's over with. Oh, that's hilarious. That is funny, man. So um, I want to start talk getting into the nitty gritty of uh, huntinggeardeals.com. So tell us the story. Like, how did you meet the developer of this and how did you guys uh, come in contact? All right. Mike Higman from Florida is actually the person that founded huntinggeardeals.com. Hunting Gear Deals was kind of his mastermind. And I think he started in 2016. He brought me in in 2018. And we kind of came into contact through social media. I had a knack for finding deals. And I think I heard about his website through a podcast. Um, and then he was kind of asking, like, on, when you go to the website, you can su submit deals. Like, you can still do that today. Like, you find a good deal on something, you submit that deal. And, uh, and hopefully, it gets posted for other people to share. So I was always interested in helping my buddies, wives and girlfriends find my buddies a good deals on hunting gear, helping them make, save a little bit of money when they can. Uh, so I always had a passion for that from the time I could spend my own money. I always wanted to find that good deal on hunting gear because I wanted to buy more of it for myself. Um, <clears throat> so I took that initiative when I first learned about the website and I started submitting deals. I was like, hey, hey, Mike, if you ever need a hand with the website, feel free to reach out. A couple months later, he was like, hey, uh, I could use a hand. So he brought me in and I took over posting daily, the daily deals while he kind of transitioned into doing gear reviews and blog posts and building up that side of the website. So I did, I kind of, I always called it, I said he was the brains of the website and I was the grunt for the website. Uh, and it just kind of, our relationship grew. Um, he kind of started growing his own uh, Amazon business and doing something different. And he was in the process of kind of trying to make some life decisions. I was like, why don't you just sell me the website? I was like, I want to take this full time. Uh, I, he knew that it had all the possibility in the world to make a full-time job and really grow into something special. He knew I had passion for it and uh, we came to an agreement on the price and I bit my lip and wrote him a check and the rest is history. I own huntinggeardeals.com now and I've really put a lot of work and effort into it since I made the purchase in October of 2020. So Basically, my day consists of doing my day-to-day -day job in the oil and gas industry, and then I come home and I'm on the computer till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, every night, trying to help people find good deals on hunting gear. I am the same boat you are, because like I do my day-to-day -day job, and then I come home and earn throughout the day and still be trying to develop content for the Bucks of America podcast page and Instagram and Twitter and going from there, and then also sharing, trying to find uh, positive influences, stuff like that, and try to avoid... Uh, some of the, dra the dramatics of the outdoor world, but man, that's a pretty sweet story that how everything just kind of worked out in your favor because e-commerce is such a powerful industry these days because you could really start something and move from there. It's just learning how to do it. And you got to just have the right people. You got to just got to know the right people to introduce to other people that can help you like scale something, go from there. And it's like, I'm glad that uh, everything is like working for you. Hopefully this will come to a point in time where you're able to quit your day to day and that's all you have to do is focus on this and then do a few posts a day. And then nice thing is you have, um, like I use Crowdfire. 
So this way then I don't have to be on my phone all the time. I just set up a bunch of posts throughout the week and set up seven days, 15 days, or I can do months in advance. So this way I don't have to be on my phone all the time. I'm able to focus on other aspects of my life. Now, does that work for Instagram too? Because that's what I'm struggling with the most is Instagram. It doesn't. It doesn't. Every program, it's like based off of, because since Facebook owns Instagram, it's like any program I've ever, I've dealt with with Instagram, it doesn't post. That's something you have to do manually yourself. But if you're able to fo- have um, your Twitter, your, Insta- or your, your Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest taken care of, then everything else kind of, then Instagram is all I have to really focus on. And then just having that um, custom interaction and stuff like that, especially like on Facebook and such, you want to be able to build an audience. And that's the biggest thing you got to grow yeah and i've got that i've got a kind of baseline on facebook and i'm very active in a lot of groups and stuff like that and i'm sure i annoy people when i say hey here's a good deal on something i'll share that and and i hate to do that i hate to bump up the web like kind of spam people with the website but at the end of the day i'm like hey like the the reveal x by tacticam like hey everybody's looking for this camera i can help you find it here's where it's at like right now these people have them in stock so like things like that even though it may not be the best deal on the online if it's a ridiculously hard to find product, like, hey, it's in stock, go get it. Or if a, a brand name that we all recognize goes on sale, like Sitka or something like that, of course, people want to know. Uh, it, it would be, I'd be doing, uh, I wouldn't be doing the people a favor if I did not share that content in places where those people like to gather, such as Facebook groups and stuff like that. So some groups don't allow that and I get, in, get my wrist slapped. Uh, but at the end of the day, most people are very thankful that they saved. 200 300 bucks or 20 or 30 percent on a product when they really been wanting to buy mm-hmm. all along yeah exactly because i know the feeling because I, I just want to share the message of people's testimonies and like how they got into the world and hunting and like i can keep on getting invited in groups i haven't been kicked out of any of them i just make one post a week or a day or something like that depending on the group and uh Hopefully, if I get kicked out, well, you know, there's there's a dozen more groups to follow behind. Sure. But yeah, yeah. I was actually messaging my buddy today, and I was talk, um, I was like trying to coach him in. I was like, "Hey, man, I need you, I need some people to share this thing for me on Facebook." He's like, "I don't even. I'm not even in Facebook groups." And I was like, "You know, all this hunting information out there for the world to see." And I said, "You're not in a single hunting related Facebook group." He's like, "Nope." Like, well, you need to be. I said, "There's a lot of junk." I said, "But occasionally, you're gonna learn something." He's like, "I'll have to check it out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of them out there it's it's difficult i like uh hunting for connections yeah. uh that one's a good one to work with it's got i don't know thirty-two thousand followers in or something it's just a massive group but the community is really generous and they're, they're always willing to help out a, help out a person like um dana the she's the creator of it um she's really nice sweet lady and she helps she allows me to post my podcast in there and and i do this and i repeat i do the uh, re, uh return the favor to allowing her to post off of mine, or she tells me something, hey, you mind posting this for me? It's like, sure, I have, I'll just do it without a, without asking twice about it, yep. questioning the the request. Networking is key. Yeah, it is. It's about it's not about who who you know. It's about who knows you, and that's where it really comes down to it. It's like uh, as we talked earlier in the earlier on before we before I hit record is that uh, we do just try to. We'll try to work together with everybody. I uh, did a uh, a podcast conglomerate with, with um, collaboration with uh, SmackDown Outdoors. And that was fun. I put my tinfoil hat on and, and we just had a blast because it's like I brought up um, different topics that uh, that weren't um, discussed, but it's like it was just research I did for another podcast that if the if we came across that threshold, I'd have uh, at least an article that I thought that was well written that would make sense to add to add to the. Uh, to the uh, conversation. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to network as much as I can. And that's uh, one reason why I reached out to you. And then, heck, we've been talking, talking now for almost an hour and a half. And I'm just, it just, it's just a conversation between two guys that like to hunt and share common interests. So it's been great. Yeah, that's the nice thing about podcasting. It's like I always wanted to do something in media. And it's like I'm not a very good writer, but I could talk pretty well, fairly well, I should say. And uh, I just like talking. I like just being able to capture these stories because it's like I, I some of my earlier episodes, I talk about my family has, it has potential of having um, Alzheimer's. And like this is kind of like my... Not necessarily legacy, but it's just like my way of collecting stories. So this way, if my if if I do suffer from it in in my later years, I can at least have these stories to fall back on. Man, that's awesome because they're always going to be out there, so you can go back and look at it. Yeah, exactly. That's my thought, my whole philosophy on it. As long as I keep paying uh, SoundCloud, it'll be all right. Yep. Yeah, because it's pay like somebody to keep track of it for you. Right. Exactly. That's what I like about it. And then with all there's then you could just I use um that one because it has the better the most the best features but you're also paying for it because i i like the security for it and, and uh, soundcloud is very um popular overseas and so it hope it helps open up the avenue for it because i'm always constantly per, uh, encouraging folks if and when they get over here is like take advantage of our public lands like even if you don't go hunting you can go um, skiing and hiking and fishing and bird watching. There's so much we have to offer, especially when you get out west. Well, actually, anywhere. The United States is absolutely beautiful because we have every aspect you want, except for the cold tundra, which is just a, a just a, just way up north of me here. But it's like we have the desert, we have swampland, we have bayous. It's like we have so much to offer. United States. It's like it doesn't take much to change your whole. Uh, climate in just a matter of hours. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, half, you can take a 12-hour drive in any direction from where I live, and you're either going to the beach or you're going to go find some snow. Yeah, so, I mean, that's very true. And there's deer but there's deer between each, every one of them. Every direction there's deer. So that's cool. Yeah, and then plus that all the work that we put in over the last 60, 70 years, I mean, rejuvenating the population. I mean, heck, you were able to get five turkeys and three different birds, or three five turkeys, three different states, in a matter of just a few days. And it's like when my dad was growing up, this was that was completely unheard of. It's like you're lucky to see a turkey. Yeah, and that comes back to the hunting community. I mean, we have to invest, take more or take less than what. Or how, I mean, think of that saying, return more than you take. Uh, for instance, one of the things that I did years ago uh, when I first moved to the area where I live at, we, it's called the Mid Ohio Valley, and I really didn't know anybody that shared the same interests that I did. I knew people that I worked with. And I met people at church, but it was really hard for me to find some people that really liked to hunt. So I started a QDMA branch and I was like, I just had an open invitation. I was like, Hey, I'm starting a QDMA branch. Start blasting on social media. If anybody's interested, contact me. So what people didn't know is I had a $75,000 check waiting for me to get my 501c3 uh, paperwork ready. Soon as I got the 501c3 uh, QDMA branch, the gas company that I was working for at the time donated this money for a habitat improvement project on a local wildlife management area. So yeah. as soon as we got the paperwork, I had this check and I was able to reinvest it straight back in the state of West Virginia, doing a invasive species removal. Uh, we planted persimmon trees. There was food plots put in all this work. And then the hunting community and the wildlife that call that area home get the benefit from that due to that generous donation. So that's, and then I made some, I made a, a, one of my best friends is one of the guy that actually, I met him in the parking lot and was like, Hey, I need your help. Met a stranger. He signed off on it saying he'd be my vice president. 
and I gave him access to that $75,000 and never thought nothing out about it. And now he's calling in my turkeys for me every year. So that's fantastic. It's a, that's a wonderful story there. Are you still the president? of uh, the? Nope. I have uh, put all my time and effort into my own business. So as much time as it is. So we kind of let the branch die. And of course, QDMA got purchased by National Deer Association. And when that transition came in, I was like, hey, I'm stepping out. If anybody wants to take my position, take it. And nobody took it. So we just let the branch basically die. And I left all the everything. If anybody ever wants to take it back, um, if you ever listen to this and you're from my neck of the woods, you want the QDMA branch, we could definitely use an, well, an NDA branch now. Uh, but we could definitely use that. And I would be happy to help. I just don't want to lead it. I, I'm trying to. I got too many apples in my plate the way it is right now. So it's hard to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, one of those things where as we, as we mature and we move forward in life, it's like we, we tend to refocus our priorities and such. So, and with you being a, a bachelor, so it's like you, you have more ample time to be able to focus, but get after some, uh, some fun times and then, uh, see what all see what all opens up because you never know you may find the love of your life sometime out there again maybe never know exactly well man we hit a lot of fun topics here is there anything that i may have missed that you wanted to get off your chest oh we could we could literally talk all night i could tell you fun stories about hunting and we could talk more about the website but um man i've really enjoyed taking the time to talk tonight um if your listeners want to learn anything more about hunting gear deals just go to the website check it out it's www.huntinggeardeals.com. Um, if you're looking for a product, use the search bar. If you want to be the first to find out about a good deal, uh, sign up for the daily deal email, and then don't forget to check out the blogs. Uh, there's a lot of valuable information in those blogs, especially when you have a holiday sale coming up like we do right now. Uh, there's a compilation there that lists all those deals in it and doesn't give you a bunch of stuff that you're not interested in. Uh, so you just go through, I try to keep them in alphabetical order now. Uh, so you just, if, you, if you're looking for your favorite store, whether it be Black Ovis or Gander Mountain, whatever, your Gander Outdoors, uh, you just scroll down and click and go. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities there for people to save money. And that's what it's all about. Um, also, we didn't talk about gear review side of it, but if you've got any guys that are gear nuts like me and like to do gear reviews, um, I've got way more companies out there wanting to give me gear products to review that I have time to fool with right now. I'm, I can look to my left and I can see personally, I've got about five gear reviews that I need to complete myself. Um, so there's a lot of companies out there willing to do that. So if anybody likes to write and do YouTube stuff, maybe I got a job for you. That's awesome, man. And uh, folks out there, I will have some of this information in the show notes like as it'll always be there. So this way, there'll always be a point of reference for this material and information. So you'll be able to go back and look at this information. So this way, you'll always be there. And then make sure you uh, like and follow on Instagram and Facebook for hunting gear deals. So this way, then you'll always be in the know. And don't forget to sign up for their mailer. So thank you, Cameron, for being on the podcast. It was a great pleasure. Thank you, sir. I appreciate You're your time. You're very welcome.